0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to New Books and Christian Studies. I'm your host, Ryan Shelton, and today it's my great pleasure to be joined by Felicia Wu-Song, professor of sociology at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. We're here to talk about her new book, Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age, just published last year in 2021 by IVP Academic. Felicia, thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Well,
1: I can't wait to get into um, this wonderful book that you've written. But first, I wonder, uh, could you share with us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, sure. So I am a sociologist, as you mentioned, um, but I kind of came to that through a windy way. I was a history major as an undergraduate did a master's degree in communication studies, um, and then finally found my way to sociology um, at the University of Virginia. Um, And prior to teaching at Westmont College, um, I spent several years teaching at Louisiana State University um, in a journalism school down there. Um, but I've been interested in the social and cultural effects of media and technology all throughout. And so I uh, have been studying virtual communities, you know, pre-social media, if anyone remembers that time, and have been glad to finally be able to write a more general book uh, about um, our life with technology, which is what I've always been after.
1: Well, oh, that's so fantastic. And, and this is, this is the, the general book on technology. So I wondered, just to get us into the book. What's, what's the big idea of the book, and, and maybe what kind of prompted you towards this uh, area of research and, and writing?
0: Yeah, so the big idea is oriented around an observation of growing discontent um, that I see in the students that I teach and in the people that I interact with about the texture of our lives. With um, our digital technologies. And so th- the book is in many ways um, a pairing. It's a pairing of a sociological diagnosis of why we um, feel so overwhelmed by um, our digital devices and why it's so hard to make changes in our lives. And the argument is that it's, 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 Not just because we're (laughs) weak-willed, but that there is entire systems uh, and structures that make it very difficult um, to make the kinds of changes we might want to make or shape the kinds of lives we want to live um, in this digital age. And then after the sociological diagnosis, there's a theologically informed prescription that says, hey, if, if you're a person of faith, if you're working with a toolbox of Christian theology and heritage, there's actually remarkable resources there um, that uh, you can look to and start exploring that uh, might give us really great um, insight and even concrete Um, suggestions about how to start, uh, I think a lot of us like to put it this way, how to reorder our lives, um, reorder our relationships um, with our devices and with our technological um, practices. Um, So it's a sociology and a theologically informed book.
1: I love the the way you described it just now as, as a prescription. And one of the things that I found so um, refreshing about your book in that kind of the the pairing of the the diagnosis with the prescription is these kind of interwoven throughout the book. You have these very practical sections that you call the Freedom Project. So I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about what what you're doing there and and how that became part of your of your book.
0: Yeah, uh, so the Freedom Project. Um, are these uh, is is a series of experiments, um, and they are experiments that are intended to help us gain more awareness of our digital practices, and then experiments to um, try to shift our routines in small ways, in kind of really micro ways that might um, ignite our imaginations and, um, get us just to kind of wet our appetite for a different way of living, um, that we may have forgotten, uh, or may never have had a chance to explore. And so I, I got into this because I, I've been teaching a class called internet and society for several years. And I, um, as a, you know, instructor, obviously we, we, um, have our students do crazy things, um, in there, uh, for their assignments and, and, um, Uh, For many years, I had them doing a digital fast, which is fairly common, you know, a 24-hour fast from all things digital. But then um, after uh, looking at several other books about, um, you know, kind of life hacks about technology, you know, there's a lot of books like that now, um, I started wondering, hey, maybe there's actually more of a sequential process here, not not in a sort of like, oh – 30 day plan to get off your phone, you know, kind of way, but more just, you know, maybe there are um, small exercises um, that students can do, again, to gain awareness and to even just um, gain, widen their imagination about what's possible. And so there are these little exercises and experiments, and I, I do want to stick with the word experiments as much as I can. Um, because I really think that um, it's not about um, succeeding or failing, um, which I think a lot of us kind of get into that rut of, you know, we try to take on something new, New Year's resolutions. Now we're in Lent, and so a lot of us may have Lenten practices that we feel like we're failing on all the time. But the experiments are really more about, um, hey, even if we're not able to um, accomplish whatever it is we set out to do, that tells us something that gives us a chance actually to reflect and to perhaps even pray about hey what is that about why is it that i i can't help but check my phone the first thing i do when i wake up you know like what's what is that really about you know or why do i actually get super anxious if i leave my phone in my house, and I go out on a walk around the block, you know, like, what is that? Right. Um, And so there are these experiments that just open up these moments for us to start being more intentional and thoughtful about our relationship with our technologies.
1: I love that. And, um, you know, you mentioned kind of that feeling of failure that we can sometimes have with our, our attempts to, you know, when in whatever these, these goals might be. Now, like a lot of listeners, I imagine, I, I, I have a default tendency to approach my digital habits simply as a self-control or a willpower issue. But part one of your book, in particular, adds some really important qualifiers to to that approach that is very individualistic. Why do you think so many of us find that willpower alone, isn't always enough to have the kind of relationship that we would want with our digital devices.
0: Yeah, so I I think part of the the dilemma we're all facing is that even if we as an individual might want to make certain changes, like, oh, I want to get off of social media because it's really not helping my mental health, for example, yeah. right? It's it's very difficult to just get off when our the majority of our social lives or maybe even professional lives are bound up in it. Right. Right. And and then this is the sociological, I think, insight that's helpful that says, hey, we need to actually look at the ways in which our digital devices and our digital practices have become enmeshed in. The, the common social practices that we have, right? They're enmeshed in our work life. They're enmeshed in our school life. They're enmeshed in our relationship, in our community church lives, right? They're, um, we, we use the term institutionalized, right? That these practices have become institutionalized in such a way that to pull away from it, right, or to minimize or reduce our interactions there is to actually threaten the foundational relationships and capacity to be a good colleague um, or uh, to do well in school. And, and so it, it is the enmeshment, right, that makes it very difficult to actually um, pull away in some kind of individual way. There's also the fact that we aren't just battling the little box, the little uh, device that we're holding. right? That box is merely a portal um, through which an entire industry of tech companies um, and corporations that um, have invested a lot of energy, research, expertise, financial resources to, to create services and platforms that are not only alluring, but are intended to be addictive, right? They are intended to draw us in and keep us there um, because that is what the industry's business model, right, is based on. It is based on, as many call it, the attention economy, right? That our attention is what um, keeps the, the wheels turning, um, for the tech co- corporations because they sell our attention to advertisers, right? Um, and they're gathering data constantly on what we click and what we spend time on um, to curate our attention, right? So that, that, that they, they have better knowledge every day about what will keep our attention. Um, and so, so we are confronting that every time we are confronting our devices.
1: After I remember, after reading for the first part of your book, I had this a similar kind of dread as I felt after I watched the Netflix documentary, the Social Dilemma. Only in this case, fortunately, I was only halfway through um, your your book, and so there's there's more uh, that you had to say about the uh, about the dilemma, and that's where we turn to in part two. So you address some of the. Um, the tools that we find in the Christian tradition and is there good news after all for addressing some of these problems?
0: Yeah. um, So I think there's two ways we could go at it. Um, For some of us, it helps to um, start um, from an intellectual side um, and and, um, that's how we imagine our way into solutions. And so I think the thing with our devices um, is that I think the problem that we need to address isn't so much, what do I do with my, or like, what's the deal with our technologies today? Like, how do we understand our technologies better so that we can relate to it in a more healthy way? I think that's the wrong question in some ways. I think at the core, the real question is, what does it mean to be human? How do I live a life that lets me uh, be as human as possible, <laughs> right? Right. And so for people of faith, that that gets us right into the area of theological anthropology, right? Like, what does it mean to be human in relationship to God? And um, what does the Christian faith have to say? And so I I think there are a lot of resources there that um, we can talk about with regards to thinking about um, our inherent relationality. Right, um, that that is that that being in relationship with God, uh, being in communion with God and with other people is foundational, right, to our personhood. And what, how do we live into that in a way that is full and rich? Our embodiment, I think, is something that is also key um, within the Christian faith. Um, what is it? You know, how do we reflect on the incarnation of Christ and how that then? moves us as followers of Christ to live into what he did. And and so I think there are really, I mean, just those two things alone, right? Relationality yeah. and embodiment could go a long way um, yeah. with our uh, present technologies. And then on the praxis side, I think the, the heritage of spiritual disciplines are, are right there, ready for us to think more about in our contemporary context and not merely think of it as something for the desert fathers and mothers or merely for Lent, um, but to think about it in relationship to, well, with our devices, you know, thinking about like, hey, what does it look like to foster a life where there is solitude, what does that mean? Really mean, right? What is the what is the value of solitude in cultivating a a rich interior life, right? Or a life in which one can even heed the Holy Spirit, um, or be able to uh, read Scripture without um, thinking about fifty million things that are flooding into our minds, right? Um, so solitude, silence, Sabbath. Um, I think those are all great starting points, really easy places for us to see its relevance, given the fact that technologies, um, the, the the mobility and ubiquity of our digital services are what fill our lives with constant information flow of demands, right? Um, and that's the stuff that's often what's exhausting and frustrating for us. And so I think there are these resources in the Christian faith that we can explore as individuals, but even more importantly, I think we can explore as communities, right? As church communities. And that gets back to your original question about the individual willpower that I think in the end of the day, we can do things as individuals, but the church is such a beautiful institution that's already there, right? It's It's a community that's already there, that's already invested in what it means to be human. Right. And we just need to start talking about that in relationship to our digital lives.
1: It's, it's a wonderful um, vision that you've um, kind of started to share with us. And we've, we've talked about all of these things a little bit, but you have these three P's in your subtitle, um, re- Recovering Personhood, Presence and Place in the Digital Age. I want to zoom in a little bit on those last two on presence and place. What do you think, especially coming in the the, the heels of these COVID um, pandemic waves that we've had? How how does um, a theological anthropology of presence and place really help to um, speak into some of these concerns?
0: Yeah. Um... It was certainly interesting finishing up the book with the pandemic already just having descended upon us. And um, if there's anything good uh, that hopefully uh, might come out of this incredibly um, challenging um, time for everyone is that because of the degree of isolation and and quarantine um, that everyone had to undergo, hopefully it it actually renewed our sense that there is something distinct and necessary and beautiful about being present with each other in proximity, not through the screen, um, but to be embodied with each other and I think the the notion of presence, you know, whether we think about it in terms of you know the presence of God in the Old Testament to Israel, right, um, in the form of a cloud or a fire, or the presence of Jesus um, with those who are marginalized, um, I think that kind of presence is one in which the digital um, practices and, and um, routines that we have make it easy to avoid, um, make it easy to feel like is merely secondary, right? So when I'm standing at the checkout line, waiting in the supermarket, it's a lot easier for me to think that pecking away at my email and my social media that those people, quote unquote, in my screen are more important than the person standing behind me or in front of me at the checkout line. Um, And so I I think what the theological anthropology from Christianity suggests to us is, no, 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 the presence that we inhabit um, with each other, right, that there is um, the glory of God, right, in each of us waiting to be recognized, right? And that uh, therefore we need to be attuned to it, right? Yeah. We need to be attuned to, to what there might be, what potential opportunity there might be to bless someone or be blessed um, by each other's presence. And that's incredibly challenging um, in our contemporary lives to live into, with regards to place, I think it's it's quite similar. Um, I think it's easy to think um, that the only things that are sacred are people, even, and even though we forget that too, um, that places are sacred as well, um, whether we think of it as, um, I think it's a lot easier for many of us if we live in beautiful places to think about nature um, as being the place where God inhabits, which surely God does, but I think even when we are in urban settings, um, the place of uh, the, the distinctive history and culture in a particular place um, is also very rich with the presence of God that um, so, man, so many of us just ignore. Um, or we pass by, whether out of routine, um, or just we haven't had a chance to um, learn to cultivate eyes to see. And so one of the things I do think about and I talk about this in the book. Is I, I think about this in terms of how we need to give ourselves permission to protect sacred places, and and this doesn't get to your question, but I also talk about sacred times um, that there are in one's life, right? Um, Not just about the outdoors or the urban settings, but maybe it's the dining table is a sacred place, right? Or the bedroom is a sacred place of rest. Um, And we should give ourselves permission to protect that. From all the sound and fury um, that comes to us through our laptops and devices, you know we don't need to be legalistic about it. um, But it could be something that we can just celebrate as, hey, this is a a special place where we meet with family and friends, where we experience delight, um, we experience each other's glory um, that is rooted in God, and and that's just something that is we have to be intentional about right now, because the devices are just so ubiquitous.
1: I'm so tempted to keep going all day talking with you <laughs> about these things. Um, it's it's so interesting. And of course, there's so much more than we've been able to cover in this book. But you've been generous with your time with us today. But before we let you go, I wonder, what are you working on next? What can we be looking forward to from you?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, there are a couple things kind of dancing around in my head these days. The practices of virtual church that have developed um, through the pandemic um, are kind of an interesting question to me. Um, Certainly virtual church has been around, but now we're experiencing in a fundamentally different way. So I'm kind of curious about um, the possibility of, you know, talking to church leaders about how they're thinking about it might be an interesting project. And then kind of on the flip side, I'm actually very interested in how um, existing practices of, of making, you know, makers, like the people who bake or knit or um, so, Yeah, I'm kind of interested in how those traditional practices um, actually – um, have historically and can continue to ground people in their humanness. Um, and so it's sort of like the flip side, right, of the technology stuff. It's just like I want to explore more um, what are the practices that so many people and communities have already invested in through the years um, that we might be able to um, amplify and promote more um, in our contemporary lives
1: those both sound like very interesting subjects. Felicia, thank you so much for um, coming and talking with us today about your new book, Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. You can get your copy now from IVP Academic. Felicia, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks so much, Ryan. It's been a real pleasure.
1: And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of New Books in Christian Studies. That's it for now. I hope you have a great day.